As the sermon has developed this week, I'm reading three short scripture passages, the first of which is, um, is the opening to the verses that are listed in the bulletin from the lectionary gospel of Luke uh, assigned for this day. I'll be reading Luke 6, 27 and 28 initially. This is Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Plain as we have spent some time with him during this season in Luke. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Then reaching back into Proverbs, chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. And then into Romans, the Apostle Paul. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that the words I say today, with the operation of your Spirit upon them, will speak a word of wisdom and hope to those of us who have gathered. In the name of Christ, amen. Love your enemies is not the only teaching of Jesus Christ that leads me to question the seriousness, if not the reach, of my faith. But it is one of the main sayings that serves up such a challenge to me. Then when Jesus adds, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, my doubts remain. I am not a person who has a lot of enemies, at least that I am aware of. But across the years, I have been wronged a couple of times in serious ways. And I have had several significant relationships end. Professional, personal, family. Unless a divinely initiated miracle occurs... I expect neither these wrongs to be righted nor these relationships to be restored. I rarely harbor anger or endless mourning, and dreams of revenge do not awaken me from my sleep. For the most part, I have learned to accept things I cannot change, change the things I can, and have acquired some measure of wisdom to know the difference. So by and large, I am able to live with sufficient happiness in the present and look to the future with hope. 
despite the wrongs that I have suffered, relationships that have been broken, enemies who once stood at the gate. But to hear twice in the New Testament from Jesus, love your enemies, sounds a far cry from the peace that I have made with mine own. Accepting what has happened in the past seems a far cry from loving people who have made the past difficult. Thus, I cannot help but question the seriousness of my faith when I know that deep down I neither expect nor desire to love my enemies. So this sermon is as much for me as it is for you. Several decades after Jesus calls his hearers and future followers to love their enemies, the Apostle Paul picks up this sentiment and fleshes it out with an image that most of us have heard from common usage in our culture. Paul writes, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul has pulled this image almost word for word from the book of Proverbs. If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink, for you will heat coals of fire on their heads. And the Lord will reward you. It is clear that for both Paul and the writer of Proverbs, the image of heaping burning coals upon the heads of our enemies is an act that at least seeks healing, forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation. It may be one step removed from loving our enemies, but at the very least, it is an attempt to bring closure and resolution. But as I think about this image of burning coals, I cannot help but wonder how applying heat and fire to human skin can be healing. Feeding those from whom we are estranged when they are hungry and giving them drink when they are thirsty are certainly acts in the direction of loving our enemies. But how can heaping, burning coals upon their heads be an act of love? Is there something deeper and more complex going on with this command to love our images and specifically with this image of heaping, burning coals for us to look at? I believe that there is. And I'm going to ask you today to follow me further into the Bible and even to Midrashic legend that grew up around the Bible. And I promise you, we'll get there in the end. Some of you will recall that the Old Testament figure of Moses was in the presence of fire at several major times in his life. 
When Moses tended the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, God appeared in a burning bush and called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. After Moses had led the people through the waters of the Red Sea, he went to the top of Mount Sinai where, in the midst of smoke and fire, he was given the Ten Commandments, which gave the people of Israel their way of life and their identity as they were preparing to enter the Promised Land. In the final scene in Exodus, Moses has led the people to the edge of the Promised Land. The narrator of the book of Exodus writes, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. And the fire was in the cloud by night before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey to the promised land. With these words in the book of Exodus. Moses and the people of Israel are poised at the edge of the promised land, waiting for the people to enter. They are led by fire. Fire plays a huge role in Moses' life. Now, given the importance of fire for Moses, and given the importance of this figure, I'm going to do a little bit of an aside here to explain what's coming next. In the Old Testament, as the rabbis read the story of Moses, and as you may remember it, Moses had a significant speech impediment. And that followed him all of his life in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And so the rabbis, in studying Moses, are moved to ask, how did he get that impediment? Where did that come from? Why does Moses have a speech impediment? And over centuries, they developed a legend which explains this, but a legend that became very well known in ancient circles and even in circles of the 20th century. So here's how the legend goes. As you know from Exodus, Prior to Moses' birth, the Egyptian pharaoh fears a population explosion among the Israelite slaves. He fears that if their population gets out of control, it could threaten his grip on the throne. So he orders that all boy babies are to be thrown into the Nile. That's in Exodus. Moses' mother, Jochebed, places Moses in a little basket on the Nile hoping that he'll be found. And sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter is out walking and she sees Moses and she draws him out of the water and takes him to the court of Pharaoh to raise him as her own. That is in Exodus. But this is where the rabbis 
develop the legend. When Moses is three years old, they say, he is playing with the family of Pharaoh in the palace, a family event, and he reaches up and grabs Pharaoh's crown from his head. Just like had we baptized Sophie today, she may have reached up and grabbed my glasses or my microphone. Pharaoh has some either wise or super cautious or paranoid advisors. And when they see the three-year-old Moses grabbing the crown, they say, you need to have him put to death. Pharaoh agrees. But then the angel Gabriel intercedes and disguises himself as one of Pharaoh's advisors and devises a plot whereby the courtiers can determine whether Moses is actually trying to grab the throne or whether he's just a toddler playing. The angel puts an onyx jewel or rock out and he puts a coal of fire out. And the angel says that if Moses reaches for the onyx, which is not particularly appealing to a child, it means that he's trying to get the throne. But if he reaches for the shiny object of the burning coal, it means he's just being a kid and playing. Moses at first reaches for the onyx, but the angel takes his hand and moves it over to the burning coal, thus saving his life. But the burning coal burns Moses' fingers and he instinctively puts them in his mouth to cool them. And when he puts his fingers in his mouth, it burns his lips and his tongue. And that is how he gets the speech impediment. It's a legend. It's kind of cool. It's a little bit comic, comic bushy, bushy, bookish. Bookish, yes. But, you know, you came to church, you got to learn something new every time. But this is where it ties in. The angel's gesture saves Moses' life. For Pharaoh indeed concludes that Moses is not trying to usurp the throne. But the whole exercise leaves the child with a scarred mouth. A mouth which will remain scarred throughout his life. A mouth that will bear a speech impediment that again Moses has throughout the book of Exodus. What this means is that in this legend, the burning coal is a mixed blessing for Moses. It saves his life, but it also leaves him scarred and impedes his speech. Yet it is his scarred mouth, stammering and impeded as it is, that produces speech by which Moses answers God's call in the burning bush to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. 
It is Moses' scarred mouth by which he passes on the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. It is with his scarred mouth that Moses pleads to God on behalf of the people after the incident at the golden calf. And it is through his scarred mouth that Moses blesses the people of Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land under Joshua. Though Moses is scarred by this coal of fire, The coal saves his life and it leads to his calling as the liberator and lawgiver for the people of Israel. Now you've been patient to listen to all this Bible so far and all this legend so far, so let me try to bring this home a little bit. I think it is entirely possible that when the image of coal of fire appears in the book of Proverbs, the wise sage who put it there knows this legend. And I believe that when Paul reaches back to the book of Proverbs and connects Jesus' call to love your enemies with this image of coals of fire heaped upon the head, Paul is saying that whenever we seek to resolve what has happened to us at the hands of someone else, someone who has wronged us, whenever we seek to resolve what has happened to us at the hands of someone who has hurt us, whenever we seek to resolve what has happened to us at the hands of those from whom we have become estranged, we will not emerge from such efforts unsinged and neither will they coals of fire burn they damage whatever they touch whatever touches them fingers lips tongues mouth skin they char hearts and minds emotions feelings, spirit. Their scars never completely go away. But as they did for Moses, coals of fire also affirm life, lead to life, give life, indeed save life. Thus, when we heap coals of fire on people who have hurt us, when coals of fire are heaped on us, we will be scarred to be sure. But we can also experience life in newness, in restoration, in renewed clarity and purpose. In burning bush on Mount Sinai at the edge of promised land, it is through fires and its coals that God speaks to Moses. So what it means is this. If we heap coals of fire on the heads of our enemies, if we heap coals of fire upon the heads of those who have done us grave injustice, if we heap coals of fire upon the heads of those with whom we have experienced deep an unrepaired rift, we can be sure that their hair will be singed and so will ours. Our scars and theirs will never 
completely heal. But in the providential care of the God whose divine Son calls us to love our enemies, through the heaping of coals of fire, the voice of God will speak and be heard. People will cross over from the slavery of rift and broken relationship into the freedom of resolution, if not reconciliation. The law of God will be given and received a measure of justice will occur in the promised land of healing and reconciliation will come a little bit nearer in time and space loving our enemies burns but it heals as well Amen.